thank you, Guy, and thank you all for having me. Uh, well, yes, talking about charisma is something I love to do, and I love to share with, uh, with you all. Let's get this started. So, to have charisma, wouldn't that be great? To have the power to persuade anyone in a room. To have people, clients, colleagues listen to you, listening in awe and nodding in approval of your every word. Uh, I often get this uh, question, uh, you should have been born with it, if that certain je ne sais quoi. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure you're all really, really persuasive people, working with persuasive people, as, as you do. And uh, even in trying to make them more persuasive, hopefully I can shed some uh, ideas. So, I uh, once met a man, oh that's uh, quite a difference, am I, can you, under, can you hear me? If I, I'm up here? Okay. Uh, I once met a wonderful man who did have charisma, yes. And it was the headmaster of my primary school, Mr. Assam. He had tons of it. And uh, I grew up in the eastern part of Holland in a rural community. My father and mother not being uh, farmers. My father's a mathematician, my mother was an English teacher. So um, in this community, we lived next to the school, me and my brothers and my father and mother. And then on the other side of the school, there lived the Assam family. So this man with his family, he was the father of seven, and in this community, he was not only the headmaster, but he was the sort of the main man. So farmers, everyone would come up to him and they asked his advice about, well, anything really. So buying land, sick cattle, domestic issues, he would sort you out. And uh, everybody looked up to him, and we especially, of course, as children. He would tell us great stories. He was a wonderful teacher. And I also remember uh, in the time when people didn't have they would come up to the awesome family house and they would uh, make a call for the black phone in the hall and give a few cents in return and would take off. And uh, so in that community, he was sort of a special mix between John Wayne, Ronald Reagan, and Don Corleone and the Pope. So that was, <laughs> that was him. And uh, here you see him at a picture. I should point here, yes. Uh, so this is me and my uh, parents and family, and uh, this is an actual school photo. So this was all the children, it was the whole school. Huh? And here you see it, and there's me. So, I was a shy girl, very timid, I had probably ideas, nobody understood a word of what I was saying most of the time. I did not have it, obviously. So, one thing or another, Mr. Austin saw something in me. He cheered me on. And just like a parent, he, uh, he said, you really should speak your mind and go to college. So I did. And even in my first job, still very shy, I could launch a plan in a meeting, nobody would respond. And then three minutes later, another colleague would come up with the exact same thing and then everybody got on board. And so as I got older, I realized that many wonderful plans never see the light of day. There are many amiable and polite people abstractly talking people, for instance, who are not being heard. And next to them might sit a person with an inferior plan and better not get to be whom. And I think this is wrong. As you all know, even Albert Einstein was turned away from Berlin University in 1907. So I think this is wrong. The best idea, obviously, should win. 
So I set out on this personal crusade. I thought, what if we could find the best practices of highly persuasive people and give them to people with whose ideas we don't so that's what we did. Much has been written on the subject of persuasion, not least in regard to rhetoric, uh, marketing, psychology, from my perspective. And we know uh, social psychologists came up with great triggers uh, that caused people to follow others or make irrational choices. Still up, there's a lot of questions to be answered, like why do these triggers work? What is happening in our brains when we're or how about when we disagree? Oh, still, I mean, what do we think? I mean, we're not just puppets of string of all that garbage all the time. So I wanted to find that out. I set my mind to resolving this conundrum. And uh, I thought, what if we could provide an, a comprehensive explanation of what actually happens during the process of persuasion, and if we could crack the magic code of persuaders like Nixon, Austin. Yes, um, in these, uh, it's half hour, uh, I would like to tell you about my journey and share some highlights with you. And it's a, a thrill, it still is, all these years of studying, re doing research, and working alongside uh, wonderful colleagues such as speech writers. And I think we can say by now, by George, I think we've got this. <laughs> uh, I think it can be and it's there for the taking. It can be learned too. I had the privilege of working alongside speech writers like yourself and making the person stand out and make their message shine through and make them charismatic. So in the triage of uh, the speech writer and the, the actual speaker and me, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So, uh, the highlights then. First of all, uh, neuropsychology has provided answers. And uh, I think there's three parts that are particularly important for the process of persuasion. And these are the prefrontal cortex, the amygdala, and the hippocampus. And to summarize what actually needs to happen in order to persuade someone is that you relax them. They have to open up to you, and you must seem like a trustworthy partner. A trustworthy party that they would actually listen to you. And it's all depending on the experiences of their brain. So three things actually need to happen in order to persuade someone. And the first thing is that their hippocampus recognizes you as something normal or even pleasant. And uh, then secondly, their amygdala should not be alarmed. They shouldn't warn you and you should not remind them of a form of threat or annoyance. And thirdly, their prefrontal cortex must regard you and your behavior to be normal. And when that happens, they see you as a trustworthy someone, so uh, they have to listen or they will listen. I think the, the, the brain of people around the world are wired the same, but the trick to persuasion is actually finding out what it is that the other person finds normal, what their expectations are. So there are big cultural differences, for instance. So this is the key. Make the other party, the other person or persons feel relaxed. <coughs> so that to crack the code of personal charisma, we dug into uh, 
footage, and for five years I collected as many films and fragments as we could find of speeches, meetings, and conversations. I had people visit them, students for instance, and I had to styles of persuasion, and the first style is the authority. If we perceive someone as an expert or someone in power, or yeah, <coughs> they're in charge, we might actually listen to what they're saying, right? Like our general position, he or she has the power over us. The second style would be someone we find charming, so our friends, but also people who have a sympathetic um, first impression. <coughs> to open up to them. Say, for instance, if a friend tells us, I know this wonderful Airbnb in London, we might think they're good people, right? And then thirdly, I call this style the role model, uh, the people we find cool, we find different. You know these three guys? Yeah. Excellent British show. <laughs> Unfortunately, they, they left to Amazon, but what a great show it was. Uh, so the people we find different who are creative, disruptive, the cool people. They also have this power. Say for instance, if Steve Jobs waved with any old new device, he had a whole line of people uh, coming up at Fifth Avenue. So that's what happened. So what does it do for persuasion? First of all, it can be a first or a second impression. Someone comes to the door, we don't know anything about them, but simply by their clothing, by their behavior, by their voice, anything. First impression, we think, oh, this seems like a strong person, or this seems like a kind person, sympathetic, or a different person, standing out from the rest. Or it might be something we find out later, or in our own instance, that people find out later about us that we are in power, or we're kind, or we're different. And that's another thing. The other person will decide. They will decide if we have charisma, if we have any persuasion, and if so, as an authority, as a friend or role model. I can say this, I'm a friend, but it doesn't work on that. You will decide if you see me as friendly. So, the person next to you knows. The person sitting next to you can decide which style of persuasion you have. If you don't know the person, if they do know you, they know how you are being persuaded. So you have 20 seconds to ask each other, what style of persuasion do you see? First impression.
that makes you irresistible. <laughs> about authority. And uh, this is a cool tip. I got it from a British actor, actually. And I once uh, spoke to him, and he said, yes, yes, I train uh, young uh, actors. And, uh, and he said, I have a big secret. You know how we make young actors play Hamlet and Lady Macbeth, for instance. Yeah? And we might think this takes really soul searching. What's Lady Macbeth thinking, right? No such thing. This one he told me, he said, oh, yeah, really, really simple. The only thing we tell them to do is keep their head still while they speak. Keeping your head still while you speak gives everything you say a sort of solemn, dignified effect. It's so funny. I mean, it's too simple to be true. I mean, intellectually, it's not that hard to crunch, but it's really hard to do. So um, just watch. Donald Trump posted, Winston Churchill, Angela Merkel, Madeleine Albright, they hardly need me. So here we look at the best paid reporter in the whole world. Luciano Alford, CNN, Sarajevo, Kaiwe, Rwanda, Saudi Arabia, Calcutta, Baghdad, in Naples, France, on the Kosovo Albanian border. The international community estimates that Serbs may have systematically raped as many as 20,000 Muslim women as a weapon of war. Many fear that the price of the early inaction will only soar. I'm Christiana Monfour saying goodbye from Zaire. <laughs>
So then, a technique for being cool. Uh, I uh, once named it playing chess, but it's apparently easier to remember it as the eminence strategy. And I learned this from my son. Actually, to be cool, in order to be cool, you have to take things cool. I think it's one of the greatest qualities of the British, so we're on holy ground as far as I'm concerned. Um, and uh, my son's 22 by now. Fill you in, and uh, for everyone here who has children, of course, you know, there's great learning material in trying to persuade children or withstanding their persuasive efforts. And this is what I learned from him actually. Uh, ever since he was a young child, he asked for MMs just before dinner. So, you know, as, as uh, he was young, uh, when they're five, it's fairly easy because you simply forbid. But once they grow older, the negotiations. So uh, then I told him, yes, well, M&Ms aren't all that healthy, and uh, you might 
trying to advertise just before the announcement. So made no impression at all. So we were very poor, and then we would argue, well, yeah, but I had an apple uh, this afternoon, so I'm looking after my health, and I was really able to offer my place. So back and forth, back and forth, until I tried something <coughs> Then I said to him, listen, honey, I know you're my son, And then I have one other thing. And this is actually the big secret. It took me 10 years to figure this one out. And it was when I read a book of Pete Johnstone, uh, where it uh, suggested the improv God, as you mentioned. He had this wonderful concept of behavior that's suited for a king and behavior that's suited for a servant. And actually, I took this a little further and uh, took it uh, into heart with the Uh, you want coffee? That's that's not adequate. 
and then
George W. Bush and congratulated him on becoming the 43rd President of the United States. And I promised him that I wouldn't call him back this time. I offered to meet with him as soon as possible so that we can start to heal the divisions of the campaign and the contest through which we just passed. That. I would like to end with uh, two quotes. And first quote is uh, from my niece, Karen. Uh, she died of ALS uh, in 2011 at the age of 39. I got to know her real up close. Uh, I, my parents both are from large families, so we have lots of nieces and nephews. But uh, I got to spend a lot of time with her, and she got sick. Most people who have been diagnosed with ALS have four to seven years to live after being diagnosed. And as we all know, Cindy Morton, who uh, passed away 29 days ago uh, in, uh, here in Woodstown, um, we've made it up to 25. She only lived seven months after, after diagnosis. So she had so little time left. And uh, she was a star carrying her face. She had so much charisma. Let me show you how she, uh, this was her. Oh, what? Um, and she was a star. She was just all cheers. And um, I asked her at one point, how do you manage? How do you manage to be this strong, uh, this sweet, and so full of laughter? And, um, and then she uh, taught me something powerful. And as she had so many, like to share with you is from Michelangelo Buonarroti and uh, I think he shares something with
parents are too essential. And daring is absolutely essential. And as you probably know, he once was asked how to be such a great sculptor, and he reportedly said then, oh, it's very easy, it's very simple to uh, simply chop off anything, chip off anything that doesn't look like a horse. So that was <laughs> So here it is. We've come to the end. Uh, and uh, I think there it is. The code has been cracked, or the magic is magic code is cracked. Mr. Assam, of course, obviously what he did, he was a king. And uh, he passed away years ago. And um, I'm sure, given the chance, uh, he had advice for everybody. So given the chance, I'm pretty sure he would have advice for all of us and even uh, to our leaders. And uh, he was a great mentor, and I, I thank him for cheering me on. Uh, since I'm now at this stage, one of the most important stages I could be on. So I thank you. Uh, where are you, Renee? Renee, where are you? For, for introducing me to the Hague and the Dutch finest Holland, Dutch uh, Holland's finest speech writers. Uh, thank you, Brian, for inviting me here. Where are you? <coughs> <laughs> Hope to meet you personally and uh, hopefully work together someday. Thank you. Mm -hmm.